on the record on news talk Yes, this is News Talk on the record with you for another 15 minutes. And for those 15 minutes, Donald Fallon is with me in studio. And Donald, we're talking about a remarkable woman this week. Monica, we were discussing this outside, how to pronounce her name. Monica, de, what have we we'll settled on? Vic Feld. Vic Feld. If anyone listening wants to text in 53106 <laughs> and correct us, but we're going with Monica de Vic Feld. Uh, she was involved uh, in the UVF and arming the UVF. She had uh, interaction with Coco Chanel, the resistance, the Danish resistance during World War Two. An absolutely amazing woman. Like talk about diversity. This is someone that lived an absolutely incredible lifetime in in one lifetime. I mean, what we're talking about today is a fashionista, a political radical, an Ulster loyalist turned anti-fascist and really one of the women heroes of the Second World War and one of the women who has very much fallen to the cracks, I think, of Irish history. And her name is more widely known to the Danish public uh, than to the Irish public, perhaps because she's a kind of difficult character in an Irish context. You know, someone that partook in gun running for the UVF, not exactly a, a progressive political force to say the least uh, in, in their day and I'm ashamed to say this is someone I heard nothing about until very recently last week actually I stumbled on Marky Vargo's beautiful book Women of the Resistance A to Defy the Third Reich and an article in the Irish Times from, from Jessica Trainer. and I think Jessica nailed it she said if Monica the Vicfield's life was a movie it might win one Oscar for costume design and another for best actress so it's certainly not every week on this slot that we mention Coco Chanel and Edward Carson you know in, <laughs> in the same piece but this is no ordinary story. This is an incredible, incredible story. There is no statue of Coco Chanel in front of Stormont. What stock was Monica de Vicfield Very plummy Anglo-Irish aristocratic stock. You know, born Monica Massey Beresford in London in 1894, raised in spectacular style at her family's expansive estate in the Irish countryside and what became the state of Northern Ireland. And this sounds like a great daft .ie description of a house, but the home has been described as a secluded Victorian Victorian manor uh, with a tower and stables situated by a lake Loch Urn, which to the delight of the family is the site of the Irish regatta. I mean, that is about as comfortable and privileged an upbringing as you could hope for. And what it, what it was, was it was aristocratic for one thing, but it was also very, very British and very, very unionist. Yes, very unionist. Let's stick with that then. What are these links? You mentioned them at the outset. What are they? So when the, the drums of, when the drums of war you know, start to be heard over Ireland, uh, she drifts towards the Ulster Volunteer Force, which shouldn't be surprised. You know, someone from this class background and this religious background and this political background is going to move towards the UVF, uh, the militia of Edward Carson, which was basically committed to opposing any attempt to bring home rule into Ireland. And Ireland, since the Act of Union, was governed directly from London. Home rule would have meant, in principle, that an Irish parliament would be brought back to Dublin. And if you were a loyalist in Ulster, that was a terrifying prospect. Their battle cry was home rule is Rome rule and they said they would fight it tooth and nail and in many ways it was the UVF it was the Ulster Volunteer Force that brought the gun into Irish politics uh, in a modern context they were so loyal to the British Empire they were willing to go to war on it it have imposed Home Rule against their will and after Eamon de Valera the mathematician, you know, Edward Carson, to my mind, is the single most important Irish political leader of the 20th century because no other individual is as responsible for partition or the birth of Northern Ireland and when the UVF put guns into their hands. That raised a major challenge to people in the South. You know, Patrick Pearce famously said, the only thing more ridiculous than an Ulster loyalist holding a rifle is an Irish nationalist without one. In other words, if they have guns, 
we have to get guns as well. But the UVF did much better than the Irish Nationalists did. The Nationalists got outdated guns from the Franco-Prussian War. The guns that were carried into the GPO were antiques. You know, the UVF, by comparison, they had machine guns. They had the latest in the weapons of war. They brought them all into Larne. And when they brought them in, there was Monica. Her father was involved in this militia. And she herself, because the family had cars, which yes. was a privilege, and plenty of cars, and beautiful sports cars, they were involved in moving these weapons from Larne into Belfast. But the UVF, make no mistake about it, they were willing, they were an anti-democratic force. They were going to oppose the British Parliament's decision to give home rule to Ireland. They were going to do it by arms. And this woman was quite comfortable with that. Of course, the UVF as well moved their arms about with a slightly more impunity than the Irish nationalists did. Essentially uh, with a, a nod and a wink yes. from the British state. Absolutely. Uh, uh, so we, we know now, people know listening, what, what era we're in. The breakout of World War One obviously happens. And home rule How is just put on ice. Her? You know, home rule is basically iced and we're told I will come back to that when the war is over. And every question in British politics is put on ice. The suffragettes say, OK, we'll stop campaigning. And when the war is over, we'll come back and start demanding votes again. So home rule is put aside. Orange and green alike go off to the trenches of Europe. And this woman, Monica, moves to London. She helps the British war effort. Two brothers go out and fight the front lines. One of them is killed. And in London, she falls in love with a Dutchman, Jorgen de Wickfeld, who also comes from aristocratic stock. Because you know, people of this class, they move among themselves. You know, they don't they don't slum it. They don't marry down the ladder. So she marries another kind of aristocratic figure. Uh, and they were about to run into very severe financial difficulty in the subsequent decades because capitalism collapsed in the 1920s and the 1930s. But she lived with her husband on the Italian Riviera and they lived a very, very fancy high life. I wouldn't be opposed to it. And an entrepreneurial life as well. Yeah, because for when her. the Great Depression came and the pockets were just hit hard, Monica de Wickfeld shows this incredible, strong entrepreneurial streak. And what she does is she throws herself into the worlds that she knows. She likes to look good. She moves in high society. So she turns towards cosmetics and the fashion industry. Uh, and that's kind of recession proof, she believes anyway. Uh, and she, you know, she probably remains the only UVF gunrunner in history who worked on a Coco Chanel based essence <laughs> or to develop a fingernail protectant, which was brilliantly called No Cracks. With so an you know, X. We have, we have na- no, with an X. So we have nail bars, you know, all over, all over the country today. But this woman was, was a pioneer in the field of of, of cosmetics and this all allowed her I suppose to continue living the life she was accustomed to she was whining and dining in Parisian restaurants living on the Italian Riviera with her husband just incredible upper echelons of the upper echelons of life. Now, the bubble that all those people lived in burst it did, World War II. War came, the Second World War. And this, often our stories are caught between these two wars because they're such seismic events. Yes. They change everyone's lives in every way imaginable. And essentially, Mussolini tells British subjects in Italy to get out. He orders them to leave. So unsurprisingly, given that you know it was the homeland of her husband, she resettled in, in Denmark. I think she was horrified by the prospect of fascism creeping across the continent. And I mean, she'd lost her brother in the First World War and she maintained the great bitterness I think towards Germany in general and she joins the Danish resistance movement that was emerging and the Danish resistance movement was led it was spear and in many countries across Europe, this was true, the resistance to fascism was led by the communists. And it was the Communist Party uh, in Denmark that were central to this story. And Denmark's experience of fascism was kind of different from most other occupied countries because initially the Germans actually left the, the government in power. They just wanted a buffer zone between themselves and the British so they, 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 couldn't, be, they couldn't be invaded. But over time, of course, that changes uh, and, and fascism becomes very, very real in Denmark just as it was in other places. Uh, how, what was her role then in that resistance? Everything. She was assisting in distributing resistance newspapers, moving arms, communications between the the resistance and the British Special Operations Executive, the SOE, because this is a woman 
that you know, was born into high British society. She speaks English, which in itself is a good scale in the resistance. Uh, and the British found themselves dealing with any resistance movement that popped up in Europe, whether they liked it or not. You know, communists, anarchists, left-wing nationalists, anyone that was taking the gun and going and fighting the fascists, the British government were willing to deal with them. My enemy's enemy is my friend, you know, at least temporarily. So she's involved in this incredible effort. Uh, she shelters a hiding Jewish family. She assists members of the Danish Communist Party in getting out of the country. She stores weapons on her property they find parachutes on her land you know people are just landing in her back garden mm. and for someone with a degree of public profile you know, someone that's worked with Coco Chanel it's very dangerous work and it displays a remarkable devotion I think to her adopted country and it's a far way removed from socialising with Coco Chanel or playing tennis with Clementine Churchill you know this is not the life she was born into or wanted What happened to her in the end? Sadly I mean I think thus was her profile and thus were her actions, that there's a sad inevitability to the end of this story. You know, she was never going to get away with it. And in late 1942, an arrested resistance leader just cracked under the pressure of torture and gave away the names of more than 40 significant figures in the Danish resistance movement, including our very own subject. Uh, she was arrested. She stood trial in May 1944 and sentenced to death. And that caused absolute outrage. You know, the idea of executing a woman. Now, the fascists had done it before. They actually put a, a young student called Sophie Schall onto a guillotine. So yeah. they, weren't, they weren't renowned for their, for their love of, of democracy. It's all in the name, isn't it? Uh, that hardly proven itself to be a force of moderation. So in court, she was informed that her sentence would be commuted to life imprisonment. Uh, and she asked, well, will the same rules apply to my co-defendants? And was told, no, it's because you're a woman. And she refused the offer. And brilliantly, she just sat down in the court and casually began powdering her nose, which was a great affront, you know, to the, to the, to the fascists who had put her on trial. And a very difficult end. I mean, she was imprisoned in the Cottbus POW camp, the, politi- the prisoners of war camp, mostly among... Um, the likes of communists and the left, uh, transferred to prison in a cattle train and prison just broke her down. TB ran riot through those prisons as it did, you know, many other prisoners it destroyed her and she died a month before the end of the Second World War and the fall of fascism so she always made it and, and, and Felix Larkin has said that you know she's commemorated in the park in Copenhagen honouring the dead of the Danish resistance and her name is on the war memorial in the Church of Ireland Church in Derry Lynn County Fermanagh but no doubt many listeners will, will agree that she deserves I think something more than that and it's incredible how few of us in this country have ever heard the name Yeah for someone we, we don't know it is a remarkable story Look there's a film to be made in this I think Jessica's right on that point it's a, it's colourful it's exciting it's a dangerous life from Carson's UVF to the Danish resistance via fashion cosmetics Parisian high society there is a there is a movie in this it's waiting to be made and you know what she is she's a reminder I suppose of the complexity of humans the way we think about the world and see the world and how our view of the world can change you know our ideologies and our ideas can change and how sometimes the most unlikely of people find themselves thrown into the most incredible of movements Do you know why I love this slot so much because nowhere else on Irish radio would you hear the line she remains the only UVF gunrunner in history to work on a Coco Chanel based <laughs> essence or to develop a fingernail protecting called no well, cracks I have to come up with something eggs. every week and they, be- <laughs> they become madder and madder as, t- as time goes but keep on. them coming my thanks to Donald <laughs> Fallon author of the Come Here To Me blog uh, book volume 2 which is out now Bad news to all our regular listeners because we've gone over time. We don't have uh, any time for a song today. We'll play an extra extra good one next week, a real classic. And my thanks to the production team, Roisin Davis and Stephen Jordan, Peter Malloy and Jojo Cardozo were on sound. Off the ball is up next. Have a good Sunday. On the record. On, the record. on News Talk.